three, two, one, go. go. I clapped. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> you, you, it's like you confused yourself there. I clapped. Now, why I did clapped. I do that? Why? Why did I do that? <laughs> oh, why am I doing this? I know, mate. All right. Hello, and welcome to the 3T RPG pod. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 3T RPG podcast. My name is Harrison Hunt and of course we've got Nicholas Lambalo. Hello. And we've got James Clark. Merry, merry, merry. This is an RPG show all about tabletop RPGs, but before we begin, I want to thank the following great people. Ace B, Julian Burnick, Jason Duncan and Ryan Wahab. They donate at the Dreadlord level over on Patreon and are part of our Dark Army. Search for the 3T RPG podcast on Patreon dot com and uh and jo- join the army mate because we're really they were the cash right yeah, it's a great laugh <laughs> we need the soldiers cash. are are notoriously expensive they are yeah need some they more are. shields they're all on standby at the moment as well so it's tent costs you know tent costs food <laughs> all of that rum shields as james very well said we we need we do need some shields because they keep they keep dying yeah we need yeah. a 3d printer so we can start um you know printing plastic <laughs> shields for them yeah. that's right man <laughs> that dark army. Um, anyway let's stop going on about our dark army because in case the fbi are listening but okay. um we've got quite a jam-packed show for you guys today because we got the news punch we got what you've been saying we got the main subject where um <laughs> where we're going to talk about prepping a session of a game and how you make it easy and quick um and then we're going to do your electro letters where you guys shared your tips for prepping Preppers. Preppers. Oh, yes. Should we do the news? Do the news. Sorry, hit, hit I, us with I, the news. I was scratching my nose just then and it got right in the way of my hand. Sorry about that. <laughs> news punch, please. News. 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 Oh, yeah. News punch. Should we do the, the news? news? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the news. It's like it's forcing its way out of my gullet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman to pen new Dragonlance novels. Now, we spoke about this back in October. Weiss and Hickman, who were famous for having written the old Dragonlance novels and bringing D&D to a new populace, as it were, mm. they were suing Wizards of the Coast after the company tried to wrangle around their contract and avoid paying them for all the hard work they'd done on these books. Um the allegation was that Wizards of the Coast used a loophole in the contract wherein the writers have to have every change approved by the higher-ups and basically put Weiss and Hickman in in like a deadlock by mm. asking them for a change, then neither approved or disapproved it, um, putting the project in limbo. So now Margaret Weiss and Hickman sued Wizards of the Coast for £10 million, but things were settled out of court and the pair have now been given the project to make a trilogy of novels for the bad guys at Wizards of the Coast. But I'm just glad it had, had a happy ending. I think they probably would have like preferred the 10 million, yeah. to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But yeah. there you go. They twisted their arm. I think at least it's a uh, a win for rational thought for a change <laughs> over at Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. Oh, bless them. I mean, well, that's good. The sad fact about all of this is the Dragon Lance novels are really rubbish. But um, I think it, a lot of people enjoyed them when they were teenagers, and they're sort of 
like very core aspects of that universe are really fundamentally stupid so but i think a lot of people just liked it because it's like you know dark wizardry and shit and it was like for teens so i don't know if people like it good um because you've got three new ones coming out it was originally going to be 10 but i think three is probably more realistic yeah that's true um, do you reckon do you reckon they want do you reckon they like by the end of this they were worn out and would have like you said rather the 10 million and not have to do the work yeah yes yeah well definitely because <laughs> it's like they're, 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 I, I know which one I'd choose. Yeah, that me too. Yeah, it's like artistic accomplishment, ten million dollars. I think I know what I'll take. I'm going to fucking Malaga. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to create a publish. Go to Barbados. I'm going to make a pub, publishing house of my own. <laughs> yeah. And all the RPGs are going to be written on the coconut. <laughs> yeah. No, no, <laughs> which living. I'm drinking out of. That's living. Um, the stuff of legends. Didn't really have a, a, a title for this one, but um, so there's a new Wizards of the Coast endorsed sponsor. I don't know if it's sponsored, but it's an endorsed series that Wizards of the Coast themselves are advertising. It's an actual play series called The Stuff of Legends. Touch. Now, that's actually really funny, uh, and it's a pun. So, um,. Uh, yeah, but essentially, this is a new actual play series where um, a group of people, um, some comedians, some previous players of D and D, sit down at a table and do an actual play. And the stuff they do is then in post acted out by puppets of their characters. Yeah. Um, you two have watched the trailer. Um, what do you What do you think of it? Uh, oh. I actually watched the first episode, which was out a couple of days ago. Oh fuck's sake! You should have said I, I should have watched that too. But I mean, I watched the trailer, and why? Not actually, no. I just think, what's the fucking point? Why are they trying to appeal to ch- um, babies with this? Like, I don't get it. What's the fucking point? Of well, D and D for Muppets. Exactly, and they do. I, I actually, uh, I, I watched the first episode, and I, I did agree with you, James, that it was like. You know, because one of my biggest problems with Critical Role, for example, is I don't think it really represents a proper game of D&D. I think the Matt Mercer's style, where he'll sit there flipping through books while everyone just talks amongst themselves and then eventually just goes on a fucking half an hour long monologue about the way a pub looks, it's not really indicative of what D&D's really like or role playing in general. But I will say, um, having watched this stuff of legends, it's kind of like it doesn't really set an unrealistic ex- expectation. The way they play the game is actually much how you know the three of us would play the game. Like, it, in fact, one of the things I really liked about it was that the DM he'll often just say he'll he'll just make up a ruling on the spot and just go, look, we're using D and D rules, but we're playing fast and loose with it because we're just here to have fun and roll dice and things like this. Oh, and good. then sort of the the um, puppet bit is sort of a stand-in for what you're imagining at the table. And <laughs> to be per- perfectly honest, the puppets are quite cute as well. Especially yeah. there's one of, one guy's playing a Kuatoa and um, he has poisonous skin and he's got this adorable little puppet that's clearly like a modified shark. Little um, shark thing, yeah. It's cool. Yeah, do, and, do they remind me of the Fraggles a bit. Mm, mm. Do, do you know what um, I mean? With them eyes yeah, and stuff. And they look a bit like Fraggle Rock. Yeah, and the way the the puppetry is kind of done is kind of funny. Like it's like the Muppets and stuff. The yeah. the, the thing about the the thing the series is, I won't be watching it. And I think, it, it, like James said, it's clearly meant to appeal to kids. And I and I think that the way they play the game and the way they kind of do it rules light and stuff like this, it's a good way to get children and younger players in because it's like. 
look, it's not as rules complicated as it needs to be, and the rules are just there as a guideline. Let's have some fun. And also, it kind of takes itself way less seriously than the other big actual play shows out there, which yeah. I really like, because which it shows you that you can just sit down, be stupid, and have fun. I mean, one of the players there, she's never played a game of it before, and she's a comedian. And her character's called Ariola Borealis, and she's a giant-breasted dragonborn woman, which I just think is great. That's really cool, Ariola <laughs> Borealis. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and the GMing what, no, style. If it, if it, it, yeah, if it teaches a good GM style, especially for younger people, and especially for people that might not know about D&D and stuff, and they see this kind of puppet presentation of it, and then, you know, there's a focus on it being rules light, and that, you know, you can, the rules don't determine the game, then I suppose it is giving a good message, really, isn't it? I agree, and you know, it, as a show, it's not for us. I mean, I, I, I did, you know, talk about Bobby Evans's show and how he was using puppets to demonstrate <laughs> Savage Worlds, but I think that was kind of misguided. Whereas this is this is a good attempt to get younger people into the game and show them that it can really be easy. And actually, the rules are a guideline. The thing is, I, as watch the show, the GMing style is really indicative of something like you know SMTV with Ant and Deck oh, and wow. shit. Like yeah. he's. Yeah, he's very, he's very like over the top and wacky. and think yeah, wacky. That's it. Yeah. And but that's the thing that like it, it's it's for children, but it's a good thing for children. I I personally think. I, and if yeah. I ha- was having a child, I would pr- most probably show them that, and then he'd be like, oh, I want to play that, and then we <laughs> then we could play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, this is it. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You know. I'm annoyed actually. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm annoyed, but pleasantly surprised that it seems mm. to actually be working out well. But I think because of the association with Critical Role, um, and I just know how um, annoying they are, um, is is probably why I turned my nose up at it more. Well, I assumed it was going to be like a you know another crappy cynical cash grab, and probably it is motivated a little bit like that. But actually, I think that all of the players have a passion for the game, and even the one that's never played before. She gets into it really fucking it's well. It a so good I'm go. just like, yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah, then. it's good. It's got a good fucking attitude to it. And uh, yeah, but I think a lot of people are going to be angry because it's like they'll look at it and be like, this isn't for me. And I'm like, but you're a 40 year old man. A show <laughs> with puppets in it isn't for you. <laughs> oh, it's snowing. Sorry, yeah. Just turn around it, and it's snowing. Yeah, it's <laughs> well, snowing like crazy here. Yeah, I walked out in it earlier. It was like a blizzard. It woke me up something chronic. Woke you up. Yeah, I, that loud snow. So it's fucking loud snow, man. I mean, how big are the snow snowflakes in your area, James? Are they the size of a car? Yeah, human size. They're just like <laughs> snowmen falling out the sky. Yeah. They're parachuting. We went out um, the other day when it snowed, and you know we had the thick snow the other day. And me and Millie yeah, built a yeah. snow woman. Oh, and the thing yeah. about building a snow woman is it can only ever be obscene because you'd have to put tits on it. Yeah, that's true. In order that's to show. That's the only thing that shows. Because we tried to make hair out of snow and it didn't really work out. It just looked like she was wearing a hat. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, well that's it for news. Um, Should we get on to what we've been playing? Yes, please. (laughs) What you slaying? Tough Guys. We uh, we finished up our Planescape campaign and we've been playing Tough Guys, which is an expansion for a uh, Italian mobster setting called Wise Guys, which is a setting for a game called Savage Worlds, which is a uh, version of the Great Rail Wars. <laughs> um, but the... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Tough Guys is a London 90s gangster setting, and these guys are playing um, hard lads in the 90s who've just been given a very small 
fictional borough of London as their criminal stomping ground and they're to make money for a gang called the Holloway Firm and uh, any money they make they kick up a certain percentage to the boss and they're allowed to do whatever criminal activities they want. Nick, you're playing the one made man of the group. In the case of Tough Guys, it's called Good People, which means Good you're people. part of the family. And uh, as such, you're the players, all the other players, is boss, basically. Yes. You're the area boss, and you mm-hmm. kick up money to the big boss. Yeah, Big Dave. Yeah, my brother. So, uh, yeah, we your character, you're playing an ageing darts player who's just finally joined the family business, James. Mm-hmm. T- tell us about your character. I'm playing um, this basically little hood rat, this little rude boy who thinks he's a he's big fish in the game, but he's basically a big sucker, but of all jokes. And um, he'll just... He's like everyone's little bitch, really. He gets all the dirty jobs, but he... He's like The Apprentice, yeah. Yeah, he's like the apprentice, but he's he's like he's not even in that role, but he just thinks he is, and he, <laughs> he yeah, he's he's quite too big for his boots, but he's like just if you anyone knows what a rude boy is, he's literally that. Yeah, um, but he's quite endearing in his is, own way. Yeah, yeah he's got, one of the setting rules of tough guys and wise guys, indeed, is that you need to um, have a redeeming characteristic for your for your it. guy. And for example, Nick's this hard nut dance player but he he goes to a flower arranging club every weekend with these women and he'll protect yeah. those women um and come out all right well, well. <laughs> exactly and james you know your his redeeming characteristic is that he goes back to see his nan uh looks yeah. after her and goes yeah, takes her to church every sunday mm-hmm. that's it takes her to church yeah he, i'm sorry nana yeah, like, he, <laughs> it's funny because he does that stereotypical thing of uh, out on the streets you can hardly understand him because he's he's talking straight but when he sees his nana he's he speaks quite eloquently around her and yeah. delicately oh, would you like a cup of tea nana he goes outside like yes blood <laughs> yeah and we've got uh, so there's those two and then we've got uh, Mo Exotic who's basically a cockney version of Joe Exotic and he always has um, bizarre <laughs> pets that he just nicks from the local woods what's his pet called he's, and he's got he's got a wolf called Robbie Savage who I I'm yeah. told is a shit Millwall player. Is that right? Ex football player, I think. Right, yeah. and uh, yeah, so he's got a wolf called Robbie Savage because he took the Beastmaster <laughs> Edge, and he he carries it. Uh, he, well, he doesn't carry it, but he takes it around on a lead that's just an old cord for a TV. <laughs> um, and then we've <laughs> yeah, the very final character we've got a uh, Irish traveller guy called um, the da- 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 Dennis Digger, that's it. Dennis Digger. Dennis Digger. Okay, Diggs. Yeah, and uh, yep. he's a yeah, he's a traveller, and he is basically sort of like the muscle, but he's a debt collector who has a shotgun, mm. and you know he's got the uh, hunting license edge, which gives him a, a shotgun. Um, but it's actually his nan's license, so the one time that's that it. he's actually had to use it, he just quickly flashed it at the cops, and I'm like, all right, give me a persuasion, and let's see how they go. And uh, they're like, okay, carry on. He's just carrying a shotgun open through London. He's also he's also our like wheelman. Man, isn't he? Yeah, he's the only one with any driving ability. Um, but because you only start at 500 quid in uh, Tough Guys, he wasn't able to actually afford a car. So the guys have been sort of stealing cars every so often and then driving them into the Thames. Yep, we've had a, uh, we've had, we had a, we had a full escort in black to start with, and then we had some yellow Nissan Sunny. And, and a moped. But the, the <laughs> funny about the, the... Was it the... Um, Ford Escort is that Mo Exotic who is a drunk and a football hooligan and has a wolf with him at all times they were trying to get away from somewhere and we'll get into details about what we what we did but they were trying to get away from somewhere and he's unskilled in driving so he gets a minus two, rolls it, immediately crashes into the nearest shop and then I'm like okay give me a driving around, let's see if you can back it out 
it gets wedged on top of a bunch of shelves and the guys just have to abandon it crashed midway wow yeah yeah smash through the pick a mix in the Woolworths. yeah <laughs> class but yeah i mean it's it's been pretty fun so far the majority of the campaign has been them following up their own goals i mean the first episode the way yeah. we kind of kicked the campaign off was that they'd had a tip off that some diamonds had been placed in a security box in a triad-owned casino in Chinatown. Uh, they went in, um, stole the diamonds, only to find out that somebody had replaced them earlier, and they were fake. But the triad boss saw these guys going in and just taking the diamonds. He didn't know that they'd been swapped out, and so they had to locate the real diamonds and bring them back yeah. to the triads and get their boss back, who'd been kidnapped by them. Mm-hmm. Which they did, expertly. I mean, there was a, quite a large firefight that went on in the Chinese before they spoke to the boss. Because um, in the restaurant, I should say. But then after that, yeah, you know, they saved the boss and they decided to follow up on any other leads they had. And it turns out, essentially, the setting I'm using is London. But these guys are in a fictional borough called Wolford. And keen-eared <laughs> listeners will know that this is the square from EastEnders. And so we've got all the all the classic '90s EastEnders characters there, along with some of the new ones. And uh, yeah, so all downtime is done kind of like a soap opera. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I tell you what, it is. Um, it's so fucking fun. Yeah, like, it was a lovely it's... extra touch. Like the whole, you know, setting it in the '90s, setting it in London, something we're familiar with. References all over the place already because we grew up in that time. Great, but then throw in the extra little bit of it being set in EastEnders as well, and it's just hilarious. It's quite funny. The thing is, it's 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 naturally coming out as a soap in certain aspects. Well, it's quite we're, a soapy we're, game, we're, anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Well, because yeah, if you think about not like, forcing any of it. if you think about the best gangster stuff, it always shows them doing their normal life as well, like Sopranos, you yeah. know, and things like totally. this. Totally. Oh, what, totally. What yeah. would that be in in EastEnders? There is like, which is a soap opera for those that don't know, there are gangster sub storylines like phil mitchell for some reason is the, is the hardest gangster and he's such a little <laughs> sad little man the hardest wheezy gangster <laughs> yeah <laughs> he just owns a fucking car shop and he was a crack addict he had jaundice at <laughs> oh, one point yeah. like and he was oh, it's fucking weird man but yeah got thrown down a hole <laughs> by his brother Jared. do you remember that when he had a fight for yep classic uh, yeah. There was, and so yeah it's pretty funny because we got all these sort of characters to pull from and of course one of the new ones wasn't around in the 90s but he's a uh, uh, a girl called Tiffany um, who's this sort of ginger I, I, I don't want to say it, it's offensive but a bit chavvy girl right and James's character is a teenager as well and as a result he's been well she she really fancies him and like is besotted with James's character but he's treated mm-hmm. her really <laughs> badly and oh, yeah because he's like the proper brutal fucking dickhead rude boy whereas like he's, he's try, he, and he just doesn't know really how to speak to women at all he doesn't he's got that sort of like keep treat them mean keep them keen mentality which is obviously bollocks for anyone that's actually tried it in real life and um it was kind of funny because he made her cry and then as she was sort of running out of the old vic the queen vic he he (laughs) kind of followed him was like tiffany tiffany wait look let's go on that date yeah like trying to cheer her up but she starts smiling (laughs) so i said to james right we're gonna do this as a dramatic task so you need to get five successes before five failures and that's how we're gonna play the day think about a dramatic task if you get a crit fail the task fails immediately and on the first round i say to james what you're doing she said you better take me somewhere nice sort of wiping away the tears and then james is like well i'm gonna take her to a chicken shop but not the, not like any like the nicest one on the square. And I'm like, mate, have you seen these standards? There's only one. And so he takes her to the chicken shop. 
that's his first move and he crit fails and of course she just runs off crying because he he thinks the idea of a date is taking her to a two pound chicken shop and she's like upset with him um so yeah we've got shit like that going on as well as the gangster stuff but the last session was that um ian beale had asked the team he said that he'd given five (laughs) grand to kill his wife who's sharon because he reckons she's trying to poison her yes so he put up his chippy as collateral because he has a fish and chip shop so he said that he'll give that to the guys if he doesn't manage to cough up the five grand and the guys see an opportunity and immediately think well what if we kill Sharon, his wife, right? But we also go into his house and steal all of his money so that he can't pay us. Then we get chip shop, the money, and Sharon's out of the picture. And um, that's what they did. They lured Sharon onto a <laughs> London bus with an open top that they'd stolen and drove it into the Thames while, while a fight was going on on board where they were fighting the bus driver. They were trying to knock her out. Um, the driver tried to chuck two skid round the corner and get the two Chinese tourists that were on the top of the bus and fling them into the Thames just by swerving round the corner. <laughs> and Nick was Nick was up there at the moment trying to distract them by giving them a, a darts tour of London. Oh my God, yeah, <laughs> just pinging darts off of like um like like landmarks and stuff. Yeah, he was like, so and to the left, you'll see the Houses of Parliament, and throws a dart. Yeah. <laughs> what about I loved I loved James's character because he had to like talk Sharon into coming on the um coming on the uh, the ride on the bus, and uh, when he go went up to the window, was shouting at her from the window, and then after she came out, he was like, I thought you was going to lips me. Oh yeah. god, it was horrible. Because look, look this is like, let me lips you, yeah. <laughs> no, as in kiss her. Because he, yeah, he was trying to like um get Rule her to. That. Yeah, woo her to get That's to go a on a word. London bus tour in the middle of the night with him. Um, yeah. And for those that don't know, it was quite funny because um, this is a body positive world we live in. But let's just say Sharon is not the best looking of women. And uh, so at this point, she oh, it was just a bit fucking weird, really, because <laughs> Sydney's only about 17. She's like 45 or something. <laughs> and um, he, she, she was just like, I thought you were going to lips me. <laughs> Yeah, she's all like ready and ready oh, and waiting so and, and puckering Oof. and licking her lips. Anyway, she's yeah, like, so they drove they drove the bus with Sharon into the Thames. Um, they didn't see her come back up out of the water. But there's a saying in London for those that don't know: if you want to kill yourself, don't chuck yourself into the Thames. Just drink a drop of it. I mean, that's how dirty the water is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, she's gone underneath in this bus. They also, you know, several cars are also in the Thames near Wolford. Mm-hmm. And in any case, yeah, so they, what they did is they snuck into Ian Bill's house, nicked his money, killed his wife, and when he couldn't pay up, they took his chip shop as collateral. <laughs> so they've got a chip shop where they're going to do crimes out of. Yep. And a legitimate front. Um, yeah, so that, that's it. Yeah, we've been playing tough guys. We'll uh, obviously give you another update on the, on the next game when it happens. But yeah, we're two episodes in. Um, speaking of being two episodes in on something, my Cyberpunk yes. 2020 campaign that I've been playing. Um. Yeah, so I've been meeting up once a month with uh, with some some people I know, mostly non RPG players, and um, playing some Cyberpunk, and it's good. It's good fucking fun. Um, we are using the original Cyberpunk twenty twenty system, and now I've actually given it a good fucking proper go. I am. Um, I there's a couple of rules I didn't use just to ease the guys in because the the mm-hmm. character sheets are really fucking complicated. So, because um, you have so much gear, cyberware, and each gear has you know its own stats. Each mm-hmm. cyberware has its own stats. You know things like this. So I just thought I'll ease them in. So the one rule I didn't well two rules I didn't really use is that each character has kind of has their own special ability 
and I didn't get too bogged down in, in telling players what these were yet. I just said, right, here's your abilities, here's how we roll, let's get on with the game. Um, the other thing I didn't use is stun saves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use death saves, obviously, but stun saves. Every time you take damage, you're supposed to save versus stun, or you you know you flop down to the floor and you have to successfully save on your turn to get back up. And I thought at the moment, what we'll do because I'm trying to ease these non-RPG players in, um, we'll just stick with just you're shooting people, you're doing damage, and there's cover and things like that. And we'll do I'm okay. going to add in That's, stun saves sense. next game. Um, phase it in yeah because it's just an extra layer of complexity I just wanted to say here's this one mechanic let's just stick with that for now and um, we don't want to turn anyone off as well if they're if they're non-RPGs you don't want to turn people off with like super crunchy stuff if you can phase it a little bit then it makes sense exactly exactly and uh, yeah the mission was kind of uh, great so um, I'm doing all downtime away from the game mostly I think a lot of players actually want to do it so we're going to do it next game and people are just going to live in the city for a bit um but yeah in this game essentially they got uh, given a job by this uh, uh huge black guy in, in this club and he's his code name is gandalf the white and um he's got yeah white uh, sort of dreadlocks and he gives um he gives the team this mission urgent mission there's this racer called mac savage and he's invented a new fuel injection system called Hard Turbo, where it dumps all of the petrol into the engine at once and allows him to go incredibly fast, which means in races he can do that right at the end and then just race past the finish line. He took out a huge loan to do it, and he's in the final of uh, this year's annual death race when um, he gets jumped by some people who steal the Hard Turbo, and uh, he... He's essentially yeah, giving the players this job to retrieve it before the race, which is in four hours. Um, what happens is, is the guys then get a bunch of clues, and there's like some red herrings left by the people who actually did it. The people who actually mm-hmm. did it with this corporation called Arasaka, um, Japanese company, and they uh, yeah, they actually did it, but they left a bunch of clues behind at the scene to pretend it was a, a Haitian yeah. gang called the Voodoo Boys. And they, yeah, so for example, they spray painted their logo on the wall, but they used the wrong color paint. Um, One of them was wearing a dreadlocked wig that if the players examined closely could see that it was synthetic, like little things like this. In the end, they went and investigated both leads, but Arasaka had actually set up a, a like a decoy. So what they did is they uh, sent a bunch of people escaping from the scene with a briefcase and just sent them to a diner in Southwest um, Night City, which is essentially like the crummier part of town an old abandoned diner and so the characters rolled in there there were gunshots going on and then they retrieved this briefcase and found that it was a decoy even had a message from the guy that got uh, that max savage was supposed to race (laughs) you know going fuck you hope you like my decoy bitch uh then they went to the voodoo boys hideout had a gunfight found out that it wasn't there and when they returned to max savage they'd seen that he's been jumped in his garage and that um arasaka had come back and as he said oh. shot up his driving leg and he said i need that <laughs> leg for driving man and um, <laughs> so in their shitty little car because his didn't have an engine katie one of the players uh Pulls Max Savage into the back and as many people as she can get into the back of the car from the team and offers to do the race herself. One of the other players goes along on a motorbike and I was like, well, technically it's one car versus another car, but I just said, fuck it. It's a death race. You can have an outrider, but you have to get your car through the finish line first to win the race, right? 
So we did this race, you know, they had one car, one bike, and the enemy was this uh, guy called Adam Smasher, who people would know from, from the video game. He's basically like, the only human part of him left is the face. The rest of it nice. is a robot, and, and, and the brain, maybe. Yeah, and he's a huge tank of a man, and they see, like, they're, they're raised up on these pedestals into the middle of the uh, Pepsi-Cola racing arena sponsored by Pepsi, and on one stand is their <laughs> shitty little Ford Escort, and on the other stand is um, his car, and it looks like the car from the Dark Knight film, like yeah, it's a yeah, fucking yeah. tank of a oh car. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it was pretty fucking funny because the guy on the bike, right, He on the starting grid, I go, right, give me a driving roll, let's see how well you get off. And it was my mate Cleve, and he had his girlfriend on the back um, and their boyfriend and girlfriend in the game as well. Cool. And he, st- he starts his bike, crit fails immediately, doesn't get <laughs> off the starting grid. Meanwhile, the two other cars race off, and then we go through rounds, people shooting each other, Katie's fucking drifting around corners. Wicked. And then suddenly Cleve, he goes, he, he, he's like, right, now I'm going to try and get, get catch up to them. Rolls, gets a crit fail, and he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Then he rolls again. He goes, you know what? I'm just going to try and fire from here with my Uzi at Adam Smasher's car. Gets another crit fail. Third one in a row. And he's just like, this is a fucking joke. So while this intense race is going on, he's him and his girlfriend are just at the starting <laughs> He's grid. just sitting there fucking up. Yeah, yeah. It, it was brilliant. so bad. Um, but very fortunately Adam Smasher was rolling pretty bad Katie was rolling really well and the hacker that they have on the team was in the front of the car sort of messing with the uh, with the car's computers sort of trying to kind of make it uh, forget its limits as it were and so she was just smashing it going ahead of Adam Smasher and then right at the end Cleve the guy who couldn't get off the fucking starting grid he turns his bike around and goes you know what fuck this I'm just going to go around the course the wrong way and drive my fucking bike into the guy and he only had one hit point left before he would be completely dead and if he fucked this up he would die and you know one of the mottos of cyberpunk 2020 is you know that you're supposed to do stuff just to be a fucking legend do you know what i mean yeah and, yeah yeah if you do this you'll be a fucking and the legend. way oh that God, crits yeah. work in this game is if you roll the highest number you then re-roll it and add it so it explodes he rolls and he gets three crits in a row and gets oh. and sp- Scores like a 30 just on the dice, adds all of his bonuses, and then he's kind of like runs his car into smashes. And because he got such a high thing, he jumps off just at the last minute. And previously in the race, nobody could damage Adam Smasher because his armor is really high and he's behind cover in the car. And then he just drives it into the fucking window, sends it exploding into a ball of flame, and then Katie in the car skids through the finish line, sort of waving at the crowd. And Amazing. It, it was fucking brilliant, man. I, I kind of gave them an unwinnable race, and they smashed it, because the idea was... There you go. ...is that Adam Smasher was going to use hard turbo on the last round and just fucking take them over. So the kind of the yeah. puzzle was, try to fucking take him out or disable him before the end of the, the, the last round of the race. Mm-hmm. And they fucking, they, they fucking smashed it. Yeah. But yeah, it was a great fucking session. The system is cracking, but it's really violent. And uh, let me just tell you about a couple of things that happened. Mm. So healing in the game is really slow, right? And Katie, at one point, when they went to that diner to try and figure out, uh, to try and get hard turbo back, all of the guys went in the front. And meanwhile, she went round the back. And as she was going in the back window, she got a shotgun out, saw this guy, shot him, and they got into a really brutal firefight. And you have to roll hit locations in this game, and I have a hit location dice, and the dick came up three times. Oh. And she's playing this sort of like non-binary person, and Katie was like, so whatever genitals I did have, 
are now completely fucked. I'm definitely non-binary at this point. And so the yeah, the guy was shooting her in the dick over and over again. She was Ooh. shooting him in the dick. It was just so oh weird. My God. But the funny thing is, she got down to like uh, <laughs> critically wounded. That's like one before you're mortally wounded when you start to die. Mm-hmm. And um, she was literally saying, my character yells, help, help. And then everyone in the other room was like, I can hear that. But I'm just going to figure out what's going on here first in this other room. <laughs> she got super fucking pissed off. So after they saw the decoy, she was like, All right, fuck this, I'm going to the hospital. And all going to a hospital does, does is speed up natural healing. It doesn't just give you hit points back. So while she was there, she stole a bunch of drugs to help her so she could still, you know, roll well and mitigate the wounds. Yeah. And then when she got back to the team, everyone was like, Katie, can I have someone out of adrenaline? And she's like, I was yelling fucking help from the other room and nobody helped me out. Of course I'm not giving you any. And um, she was genuinely pissed off that people weren't helping her before because she got wounded because everyone just left her to it, just fighting this one bloke. Yeah, see where she's and, coming from. <laughs> and uh, another rule is that if you take more than eight points of damage to a single limb, it's destroyed. So if you get hit in the head and take eight damage, that's just instant death. Oh my god! And uh, Cleve, at one point, when they were fighting the Voodoo Boys, he gets shot in the fucking head, and I start rolling damage because it's like five d six, and I'm like, okay, that's a one, that's a two, that's a one. He takes seven damage. He's one damage off from being killed completely, and part of his face gets blown off. And at one point, one of his arms got blown off as well. So it's like, <laughs> oh my god! I'll wrap yeah. this up. But the one tip I will say: if you're going to run Cyberpunk 2020, have a little folder of backup characters because it's fucking brutal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, great fucking game. Absolutely loving it, and uh, I think the players are having a nice time um, good. And, and enjoying it. I mean, it's good to play with a bunch of non-RPG players because they kind of have a a different view on things. I mean, for example, yeah. Sarita, she's only played a, uh, one session of an RPG once ever before playing in this campaign. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she's there's a class in Cyberpunk 2020 called a rocker, and you in- inspire rebellion and riots using your, nice. uh, using your music. And so when they turned up at the diner to try and beat up the Arasaka blokes, she came in, Cleve was in a car, and she was on top of it with an amp and a fucking guitar just playing it, trying to get give the guys That's on awesome. their t- team a boost and to distract the Arasaka guys. And it was just fucking badass, man. Electro-bard. Yeah. That's pretty much what it is. Pretty much is an electro-bard. But yeah. I like it. That's Cyberpunk 2020, man. Yeah, I'm fucking enjoying it. We're playing again next month. Um, going to play an adventure. If my players are listening to this, they probably aren't, to be fair, but I'm doing an, an episode called Going Mainstream, where the guys are oh, going to yeah. hijack one of the uh, one of the uh, main uh, television networks and uh, put out some <laughs> mu- music on it. That's hopefully what we're going to do. That sounds fun. Yeah, a um, couple of things I just wanted to, to mention here as well is that um, uh, I've been reading uh, Into the Borderlands, which is a DCC... Not DC, it's a Goodman Games product, guys. And what this is, is back in the day when Basic Essentials D&D came out, they released it with this adventure called Into the Borderlands. And all it was was a mini setting of a keep that you hang out in and while the world is going to shit. And you explore some caves to the north. And you can kind of explore them in any order you want, set your own goals and things like this. It's just an area that you play in, essentially. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's called the, uh, Into the Borderlands. Well, keep on the Borderlands. And, um, I was going to say I've heard I've heard I've heard of Keep on the Borderlands before. Yeah, and you may know the Caves of Chaos, which is the dungeon yep. that you kind of explore in the game, and it's uh, actually a really great product. And uh, I, I was trying to get my hands on a copy of it because I kind of wanted to run it in DCC. Um, 
in the future, and I just wanted to plan a campaign out just for fun, you know, draw maps and shit. Yeah. And um, yeah, Goodman Games, they do this reprint. So it's Original Adventures Reincarnated, and it's a reprint of the original and every version of the original that was ever released. And in addition to that, it has a new version of it made by Goodman Games, updated with new descriptions, rejigged rooms, and um, new artwork, and then made it for uh, D&D 5e. But of course, you can use that with any D20 game. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And it's got you know all the like glossy pages at the back with all the different artworks and yeah, uh, yeah new encounters and new quests to do in this in this old setting and a beautiful product a, a little bit on the expensive side um I mean so there's some instances guys where I feel like a reprint wasn't necessary because what they've done is they've included you know two versions of the old version there but the only difference is that the Minotaur art was different on one page so why include the entirety just have a little side box saying in another yeah. version you know <laughs> yeah that's true that's true but um, it's good and it's got like little articles in there it's got one from Gary Gygax's son in there talking about the setting Ooh. and stuff it's a great little product so I've just been um, uh, yeah planning out a future campaign for just for funsies that I'll probably never use and uh, using that product and I would definitely Very check nice. them out they've done it for loads of the old adventures as well is it I like have... a, it's kind of like a love letter to the older modules right that's exactly what it is, and um, I think as one of those, if you're into your like history of the game, this is one of the most iconic adventures ever, and it's a, a really interesting read, and I really yeah. like what they've done with it. Well worth the money. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to pick up some of the other ones as well, but um, we spoke last week about CJ Stott, you know our new boss? Because he sent us a bunch of nice stuff, and uh, yes, of course. We're review. Oh, One of the yeah, ones actually. is he sent us um, a full suite of the new Hackmaster oh, books, which are going to go to you, Nick. And uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful books. Um, but we're going to do an episode, uh, the complete history of the Hackmaster RPG, and that's going to be the yes. next episode on this channel. So we'll talk about that more then. But dedicated to the new boss. Yeah, exactly. Um, another one he sent us is Cortex Prime game yeah. handbook so this is I, I hadn't really heard of this until he until he sent it as like a little bonus in there because he said he had a spare one and uh, the it, what's really great about this is it's a open system so it can be used for any genre and it is a very weird system right so it's completely modular so there's a base mechanic which is and a base rules which is summed up within the first two pages of the book then everything else is optional you can add mm. as much as you want so for example, the base mechanic is if you want to name your character, you just go, my character's name is Steve, he's an investigator. Investigator is his trait, and you basically move up a dice chain with it. So let's say, for example, you start with a d6. When you're using your skill, you can add, uh, th- you roll 3d6 and add them together. When you're not, you roll 2d6 and add them together, and you do it by a difficulty that's rolled every time. So the GM rolls out in the open, and if he wants to make it hard, he rolls 2d12. If he wants to make it easy, he rolls 2d4, and you try and beat that number. Okay. Oh, nice. That is that is about fucking it. But then you look through the book, and it's like, then people have sort of, well, the way they've done it is they've sort of modded it, modded that to its nth degree. So you might have attributes which are measured from a D4 to a D12. And then uh, in one of the settings in the book called Hammerheads, it's a, a training package. So you might have crowd control. And so it just it iterates on that one idea of having a dice that represents what your characters can do. And 
that's pretty much it. Like, it's a really nice little simple story-based system. But you also have things called effect dies. So you can nominate one of your die to have a special effect. And it's based only on the number of sides the die has. So if you roll a d12 as one of your dice in your pool, and the pool can go up to about nine, by the way, because if the GM says, oh, yeah, you know what? Um, you've prepared extra for this. I'll give you a bonus. Add a d8 to your pool. You know what I mean? And then you roll that. Nice. But the special effect dies can do special things. So, for example, um, if you want something to really pop off and you've only rolled a 1 on your D8, you can go, well, that's an 8-sided die, so I want to take that as my effect die and add it to what I'm doing. So you can sort of sacrifice dice to add towards your success, as it were. That sounds fun. Yeah, I like the sound of it. It's really, really fucking cool. And um, one of the, uh, the, the, the book is amazingly well presented, but one of the things I really liked was it's got like three settings in there which they've come up with, and you know, they even have different rules for how you build characters. Now, what's kind of cool about this is that there's one section of the book which says to make your own settings, what you do is you pick three descriptors and then just mash them together, and then that's, that shows which mods you use in, in your game. Um, I'm just trying to bloody well find that now, but it's um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So you might have something like, uh, oh fucking, I don't know, like Western sci-fi mm-hmm. romance, comedy, <laughs> fantasy, horror, something like that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so um, the the cool thing the cool thing is is that like then so the milestones that you get for your characters, as in leveling up, change based mm-hmm. on which descriptors you've picked for your campaign great book and i reckon it's really up for your street nick because you really yeah, like those you know story focused type mm. games and uh it's banging but yeah that's yours as well but we'll we'll have sounds to do like a review really it. really good um system that they're using and dice wise it sounds like um first few times you'd use it you'd get a bit confused but it can work really well well i think the the, the interesting thing about it is there's, there's no such thing as just a number bonus it's all about just rolling dice and adding to them to your pool do you know what i mean so yeah, yeah exactly. it's really great i mean if you've really planned out a heist you've got 2d6 in thievery maybe but then you've got some really specialist equipment so you add a d8 in there you've also got the lot of you have planned it really well and got the plan so you might add another d8 in there and then you're just trying to beat this two dice number that the gm's come up with that's um, awesome. I like the I like great. the vari- variable target number as well. That's cool. It's great. It's a, it's a lovely idea because you assume you know two D twelve is going to be hard, but sometimes you've just got you've just got a good read on the situation and yeah. the GM rolls that those two D twelve and it comes up a three or whatever, and you're just that's like, it, mate. cool. We got it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. Cortex Prime, check it out yes. if uh, if you if you can or want to. Mm. Uh, but yeah, sorry, we've gone on way too long yet again. Let's go to the main subject. sorry that's my fault because of the bloody cyberpunk chat i shouldn't be running two games at once that's the fucking problem it's all good mate there's a lot a lot of you get too excited yeah that's yeah uh, yep and uh also it means that i haven't seen my wife in months (laughs) 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 all right let's do the main subject main subject magic main subject tokyo main subject yes so, where there is B for a one-shot, I've just realised that my notes have a misspelling in there. So, whether it be for a one-shot or a long campaign, planning out a single session of an RPG can take hours, days sometimes, depending on how elaborate you choose to go. And this lengthy process goes double for the DMs out there who deal with terrain and minis. Mm. Now, anyone could fart out a dungeon with rooms and monsters in about ten minutes, but the trouble is, sessions like that can often end up feeling bland and unsatisfying, like the DM hasn't tried to actually come up with anything entertaining. 
But to craft an elaborate plot with three-dimensional characters, twists, special items, monsters, and a satisfying conclusion can be very time-consuming and difficult to do with any consistency. So, how do you plan a session that's deep and entertaining but doesn't take up huge chunks of your actual life? Well, that's what we're going to discuss today, boys. Yes. All right. We're going to go yes. through our, our techniques for planning a session, and James, you know, you can chime in with what you prefer as a player and things like this. And we're going to talk about how to do it in an effective, time-effective manner without having to sacrifice on story. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll kick us off with uh, with a couple of tips, and then we'll go to yours, Nick, and then uh, mm. and uh, James. Just feel free to jump in any time you feel like a pair of boots. Oh yes. So, um, yeah, uh, my tips, you know, because I, personally, I don't like to spend too much time on planning. I used to. I used to when I oh, had, yeah. had a bit more time, you know. Um, <laughs> and it, it used to be that I just thought that was necessary. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. but what if they go here and I don't have an NPC? And they don't... But, um, yeah, nowadays, you know, I, I realise that it doesn't take that amount of work to create a really interesting and fun world to play. And, I mean... Look at tough guys. All I did was nick the setting of a quite crap soap opera. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a good fucking laugh. Um, exactly. But yeah, one of the one of my main tips, um, just for just for sake of quickness and also ease at the fucking table, is um, to plan each session on, as a one sheet. Uh, that doesn't mean one sheet of a piece of paper. It means both sides of a piece of paper. Mm. Um, just make it one page only, right? So, even if I'm running a published mod- module, I will condense it down to you know both sides of a piece of paper in my notebook. And uh, you know, I know you can cheat the system by getting a giant notebook, but that's not the point, lads. All right, not the point. No, all right, grow up. Well, it saves you from flicking through stuff. It, it, everything's you know readily available. Yep. No, I get, exactly. I get the idea, monst- isn't it? You know, monster stats, room descriptions, all of that, all on one page. And it, and the thing is, as well, like I did have to upgrade to a bigger notebook, but the Ooh. but it's A4, right? That's there US letter for our American listeners. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> uh, one page, one page only. And the the other one I I I'll, I'll often say, and I think it's something that people um, feel compelled to ignore, is um, to rip things off, man. If you're having trouble planning a session, just watch a film and just take notes as you watch it. It's that totally. fucking easy. Um, I mean, for example, the, there was a time when uh, when we were playing our Solomon Kane camp- campaign, I did a, a, an episode based on The Ring. Instead of a video, it was um, a sort of chain letter that was getting sent around. And yeah. I, just, I just watched through The Ring and just took notes of the locations and the characters, and it, it, it was no effort at all when I got to watch a, a pretty good movie so absolutely um, or I'd also say as well just to chime in on that point is um, if you're just watching stuff you know like we all do through the week your, your, your TV shows or movies or whatever and um, something pops up and you think wow that'd make a good situation in a game or just a small aspect of that movie would be interesting in a game just take a quick little note in your phone you don't have to use it that week but you've got it completely agree and um you know, in the uh, book How to Write Advent- Adventure Modules That Don't Suck, mm. a great bit of advice is that, is that Nick, you make a really good point, but don't remember, like, it doesn't have to even be relevant to your RPG campaign to nick something from it. Because mm. in, in that book, um, somebody, can't remember who it is, but they wrote that even if all you ever do is watch Antiques Roadshow, 
then put the people, the presenters you know from Antiques Roadshow in your campaign as characters because you know them. Yep. Uh, or maybe do an adventure set at an antiques fair where people are having really great items uh, um, sort of like appraised by experts. You know what I mean? Like, Well, that's the whole well, thing, so isn't you, it? It's full of, I mean, even Antiques Roadshow, the stuff that they bring in on that is interesting. It's got history, it's got a story. And like you said, what are they? They're just items from D&D, let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah, and and if I was to put that into the Tough Guys campaign we're playing at the moment, yep. um, the way I would do it is maybe that you've got a tip-off that Antiques Roadshow is coming to London uh, in one of these stately <laughs> homes, and there's going to be some really good gear there we can sell. But exactly. because it's rare antiques, finding a fence is going to be difficult, and maybe that's part yep. of the adventure. So, yeah. There you go. Rip anything off. Anything. Even if you're fucking watching Love Island, take a person from that and put it in your game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd say that uh, that is probably one of the best tips because i know like whenever i comment about getting ready for a game the only one that i can really comment properly about was my one campaign that i ran and i did i i did all the things you're not really meant to do but i was a brand new gm for that (laughs) um so it's like i learned the extremely hard way by just doing it all wrong in the first place but in terms of um ripping stuff off it's like yeah there was a character in my campaign that i based off a colleague and it was just so easy to act out that person because it's just like, well, I work with him every day, and it just made well, that. Well, he bit. was um, he was one of the deepest characters in your game because you know him, you know. Yeah. And it, the thing is, what what we're talking about is is prep, you know, and that saves you a lot of prep because how many times do you sit down to write up a fucking campaign or or, or a session of a campaign, and you sit there thinking, oh, maybe I've used that personality archetype before, uh, think, think, and that's just wasting more time because, you know, just think about what you've been watching, just fucking rip it off, even if it's like a character from an advert. Um, (laughs) Yeah. One of my my biggest tips as well, and this is something, this is not a luxury I have anymore, which I can't complain about, but uh, prepare your games at work, mate. Because let's be honest, a lot of people out there are are working, you know, um, desk jobs and things. And when you have five minutes, just have a notebook on your desk and jot down ideas. Um, That's what I used to do. I didn't, like, do whole campaign prep at work because that would be insane. I wouldn't actually get any work done. But, like, if I'm sitting at my desk and I just... I I would just sit and think at work about a five, uh, you know, five-scene episode. And when I've come up with a scene, just write a sentence down about it. And that yep. way you're not using your valuable time to actually get the ideas down. And believe me, f- five scenes with just a sentence description is enough to play a fucking session of an RPG. I like the yeah. fact that, um, that, you know, doing that, if you have a spare moment at work to do that, it's like there is such... I mean, some people are quite driven when they get home and they can do stuff. But a lot of times, like me, it's like if I'm in work mode, then that's when, like most of my cylinders are firing off um and then i'm just like yeah well so my brain can cope with thinking about more things at once so that's a pretty good idea to sort of chuck it in there yeah i agree i mean even if even if you work in a uh in a service job you might you might often find that during your lunch break you're still in work mode and that's a good time to fire off ideas and maybe sitting down at lunch with your sandwich and fucking writing a few things in your notebook can be a good time to get it out of the fucking way where it's where you're already using up that time waiting to go back to your shite job you know um so yeah that, that's one of sorry my guys i got i got to go to the loo quickly sorry because you freaking fricks just can't ever be quenched you're your fantasies can't ever be quenched, can they? You freaking freaks! What will you learn? What will you learn? 
So um, here's, a, here's a way to come up with adventures really quickly. There are so many cha- um, like channels on YouTube and podcasts out there that say there are three things every adventure needs. A villain, um, a this, that, and the other. And I, I can tell you for a fact, these are the three things you really need, right? It's the three Cs. Always remember this, right? And you'll be able to come up with adventures a lot quicker. Context, catharsis, and challenge. So... Mm. All your adventure needs to do to be a good adventure is excel at one of these and include some of the other two. So context, obviously, that can be the story, the characters, you, me, and it'll give context for your actions. Now, mm-hmm. um, catharsis is, you know, the the the, the act of usually in an RPG catharsis is going to be chopping heads off and violence and having fun killing shit. Do you know what I mean? Usually, usually, yeah. and then obviously challenges is is. is fairly self-explanatory but in an rpg you know context and catharsis can make an adventure so yeah excel at one of these for example if you have a campaign uh, or a session that's all about context where it's literally all about uh, exposition maybe the characters within the context and meeting new characters and figuring stuff out and investigation then it's got little fighting in it, but maybe a little bit of catharsis and a little bit of challenge when figuring out who done the murder and things like this. Well, exactly, yeah. Then you've got an adventure on your hands. Context, I Mm -hmm. find, is easier to put in once the characters have adventured a bit more, so you'll excel at that later in campaigns. But catharsis, take a look at the adventure in the back of the Tough Guys book that I wrote. That's basically all catharsis. Some guys are fucking Mm. over your company, Go and fucking kill them. And I've put uh, the yeah. settings where you kill them, there's plenty of stuff to creatively kill people with. And <laughs> it's got a little bit of challenge in there because it's got a good boss fight, a lot of enemies with guns, which the players probably won't have, um, and things like this. But the ex- it excels that adventure at Catharsis. That's that's the way you got to think about it. If you have mm-hmm. those three excel at one, then you'll be able to come up with adventure ideas way more quickly. And also, you you realise you can just sit down, provide a little bit of context, and go. Um, some people from the village have been kidnapped and taken to the dungeons. But then you make the goblins really nasty and ramp up that catharsis or the challenge, yep. right? And you've got mm-hmm. a good adventure on your hands. Um, that's like it. that's basically the three C's. But um, yeah, there's a great quote from Dungeon Craft as well, where he says, "Your players don't expect half as much as what you feel compelled to make." right (laughs) just remember that the truth of the matter is is your players will probably be happy more often than not to just go and kill some shit this absolutely unfortunately that's a fact um uh, well, look at tough guys. Didn't you? Didn't you literally look at the first page of your notebook last episode, and then that was it? Yeah, I, you closed it. The notes got discarded within the first five minutes of the game. Because um, you, you guys were just like, "Nah, we're not gonna." I, I've written up this really cool adventure, and you guys were just like, "Nah, I'm gonna. We're gonna go and kill Sharon and think up a creative way to do it and stuff like this." So yeah, I mean, that one was almost entirely just based around the cathartic thing of trying to kill somebody yeah. and get away with it. You know? Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and and that that's just it. It's that's and it was simple, right? I de- mm. I made all this shit and was compelled to because I like it. But all the players wanted to do is just go and kill somebody. That's it, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's as I say, you know, often people will put pressure on themselves to make it this grand epic story, but really, yeah. the players are happy just to sit down and have some fucking fun and roll dice. Obviously, I think any campaign should be peppered with the big ones and should have an overarching story. But ultimately, a lot of the time, you can just have a good time just sending them down a dungeon, getting some cool loot. As long as it's a fucking yep. good one, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and another one is that if you want to make an, a shortcut to making a, an adventure really good without putting much effort in, is to do one really good new NPC um, in an otherwise simple adventure. Um, the example I'll give is in our D&D game. Do you remember the one where you guys were having to sort out a land shark problem for a hotel owner? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you had that, that complete liar called Yusuf with you, and he yep. was he was yep, just the most yeah. backstabbing, snidely twat, and everyone um, you, nicknamed him Useless instead of Yusuf. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just it, I added that one guy in there. It made simple things like searching for a monster much more interesting because you had this useless twat on you that was making everything harder do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah another good example is the sea hag from that same campaign when she was introduced and it's not just going to the caves to kill an owlbear it's going to the caves to kill an owlbear that she created to do a deal with her and she also was quite manipulative you know and yes. eight children yeah. and it's but but we loved her Exactly, and the players always latch on to a good NPC, you know, just add one (laughs) extra good one into your adventure. Um, A a really great one that I've seen used a couple of times is have a documentary maker go along with the characters because he's trying to document their lifestyle and then the characters uh, have this cool NPC that's with them and will interview them and give the characters a chance to speak about themselves, which players love, by the way. And (laughs) you can award them extra XP for doing stuff that's cool for the camera, and it makes it incredibly fun. Oh, mate. We did that in Destiny, didn't we? We had that little film crew following them around when they were doing the interviews to the cameras. And we were, like, you know, getting them to do, like, extra (laughs) shots of us. Like, can you just get one of me, like, flipping off this car and just add it? it's not good. It's not a good angle. Can we do that again? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's so good, man. Um, Yeah, the very last thing I wanted to speak about was the idea of just doing a dungeon crawl, right? Obviously, if you're going to just sit down and do a dungeon crawl one night, that's fine. It's often what I would default back to in a D&D campaign, because D&D is quite good at that. Just have, mm. have the con- uh, just remember the three C's, context, catharsis, and challenge. Excel at one of those, and your, your, your players will be more than happy just to sit down and do a dungeon crawl. With all of these tips in mind, you should be able to create an adventure... Uh, fully fleshed out within about two hours or just vague ideas as you go about your day. Do you know what I mean? All of those things, or if you remember all of these things, it will make it much easier. But those are my tips. So, Nick, you often... um uh, certainly with the Destiny game spent a lot of time, you know, planning and and making, finding cool images and stuff. But what are your your tips for for easy and quick session prep? Right, so yeah, um, I was a bit like James uh, in the early days of GMing. Um, You get yourself so worked up, you get so nervous, you worry that um, you're not going to prep enough, and in doing so, you overplan massively. Um, So my first tip is don't overplan episodes. You know, you're you're there with the guys for three to four hours. You don't need to prep a six-week campaign for one episode just in case, which is what I used to do, and it's way too much work, and it's a pain in the butt. So never overplan a a first tip straight away is do not overplan an episode. I would Um, say even as well, like, if you're running a pre-published adventure module, like like a long campaign one, right? Um, Only take down notes or prepare as much as you need for the first episode because I think there's often this paralysis like certainly for me when I've run longer campaign modules um, you get this paralysis where you're worried the players are going to knock something off of the later module and if you uh, simply don't read it you're not going to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just Very read the, what you need for the first episode. Savage Worlds adventure modules are pretty good for that because they have the plot point campaign where each yep. episode is planned out. You know, so, yeah. As um, anyway, I, I yeah, totally like you know, don't overplan. But I've realised what 
the biggest mistake that I made was um, is that there was an end goal that I had in sight as I started writing it and I um, I really wanted them to go in a certain way to sort of achieve it whereas because it followed the thing that I was copying um, I just thought oh yeah, there's only yeah, one way yeah. to get to it whereas it's fucking it's dumb yeah. you can have an idea of what you want the ending to be but at the end of the day stuff is going to happen so you I've now realized you have to one be open to that um, end plan being different and two it's like you can just fucking change what's happening in the environment that the players are in to like sort of it's not um, railroad them back on track it's to naturally sort of sway towards or even just change yeah, yeah. just be like all right sweet well that's easy. I, I can pick up off that and just be like, oh, well, this happens, which means that potentially the end result we're trying to get to is more likely to happen because you've you've changed something up. It's like I exactly. I literally yeah. drew a map and or drew a maze and then drew the, the completion of that maze for the players, whereas in actual yeah. fact, it's like you have to, to follow what they're doing. And that's, that's the thing that I fucked up with. Agreed. And, and then if you know that, it stops you from over preparing, and that way your your session prep is a lot quicker. You know, because you just yes. you're just going. I'm just preparing the next one. That's all I ever do nowadays. Yep, that's it exactly. That's it. That's all I do is it's prep the next episode. Uh, mm. Well, that brings me nicely onto the next point. Actually, what James just said was to uh, be flexible. So make your campaign modular, so things can be moved around where required. So if the guys didn't do that really cool thing that you planned, that you put loads of effort into because they didn't go down that road, well, if it makes sense in the story, they don't know if that road never ended up in that place you move it you put it somewhere else they can still enjoy that later on in the series you know in the story famously um hideo kojima the writer of metal gear solid did that constantly um because you you sometimes see a boss in one game that doesn't really fit with the with that the themes of that game it's because <laughs> yeah it, it, content would get cut at the last minute because he was trying to over prepare for his video game and then uh yeah he would just go fuck well i've done all this work i'll just put it in another game i mean i'll pop the, it in somewhere else <laughs> the adventure i'd just written into the tough guys book was one i was going to use for our previous old school essentials campaign and i never well, got there to. you go so oh, i'm just awesome. i've just reskinned it and put it in there so and to be fair, yeah, that's a very good point, actually, because as well, not just the campaign being modular, but you're absolutely right. Say there's a part that just won't fit in that campaign anymore due to what the characters have done. Then, Save you it. know, like you said, re, re, um, re, rebrand it, put it in somewhere else. Yeah, then then like, uh, the, the next campaign you're running, you go, I've already got fucking episode one planned, you know. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. Couldn't Definitely. agree more. Uh, next one is have an overarching backbone of a, cam- a campaign, but don't worry about the finer details. So that's that is what how I start off. So I kind of when I'm trying to put, think of a campaign, I get an idea or a premise. Um, then I kind of think of a general progression in regards to a campaign, mm. and then that's the overarching backbone. And then I don't fill in any of the rest until you, you the story develops itself. Keep yeah, it organic. Yeah, and and you know that was this kind of the thing with Destiny. It was like we know we've got to sort of reclaim humanity's stake in the world and yeah. that's it that's the that's the backbone but then episode mm-hmm. by episode you can change and, and plan it and that way you're only ever doing the next session but it feels like it feels like there's a big goal in mind yes absolutely so so yeah and, and that might and, and, the, and the interesting thing being a gm as well is is like you never know what you're 
players are going to do until they start doing it right so mm. you know for what you so, so the vision you might have had for a campaign in the first place after a couple of episodes you might feel as a GM it's not fitting anymore I need to change it so having that looser arch rather than that definitive story gives you that little bit of wriggle room that was the trouble I, I did with my Lamentations of the Flame Princess campaign I mean it was fun to play, but the the trouble is is that I assumed the players were going one direction and the campaign went off the rails pretty fast. <laughs> Not that I was trying to railroad you, but I wanted to have a campaign where you guys were liked by the authorities and yeah, got yeah, missions yeah. and it, it just it just didn't happen. And the thing about it was is that then a lot of prep I actually done. That was one campaign where I just prepped and prepped and I was like, mm. most of this is fucking useless now, so I've wasted a bunch <laughs> of time. <laughs> Yeah, and I had to exactly. change it on the fly. And if you just, just don't put that effort in to begin with, you'll just be like, well, now I can change it on the fly because there wasn't anything in that gap anyway. No, that's right. Exactly. And also, like, um, you know, being able to change it on the fly means that, you know, we us DMs, we do our feelings as well. And if you write something really cool that you think your players are really like and it just gets completely overlooked, then sure, we get a bit like, no, it's a shame. <laughs> but it happens, though. That's the trouble. It happens. It, it happens constantly. Yeah. Um, a big part of you know cutting down on on session prep is learning to love those moments, and oh, yes. that will even kind of it will even help you with your prep because it's it's kind of like if if you write an adventure right um, uh, for, take for example the first episode of Tough Guys it's a kind of a London rewrite of the adventure from the back of the Wise Guys book called Fugazi mm. Fugazi and um, in that adventure there's a point where you need to find out where the real diamonds are. And I just didn't write anything down because it's like, well, you can't just go, but the person that you kill will have a note in his pocket, but additionally they can go to the library, but additionally yeah. this. It's like, but they might just say, I'm putting my ear to the ground and uh, going to cruise the streets trying to find out where they might be. And it's as simple as that. So yeah, I don't, I exactly. don't put in a solution to things, uh, which no. actually also saves time. Yeah, and it leaves it leaves the kind of investment in the in, on the player's side, which means that you're going to get something that you never expected as well. So it's well, that's one of the for a GM, biggest tricks that I've sort of learnt from various discussions that we've had here and in person is the whole. That's it. You don't you don't make a solution. You just make a problem because no. your players will find a solution. That's right. Or if they think of something, you know, wild, um, and that they've put loads of effort into, then that becomes the solution. Like, and it's just like well, that's fucking that's so smart because then they you know there's a player satisfaction of oh my god we figured it out where realistically sitting yeah. behind the screen just like you figured nothing out it just sounded so cool that I decided to say yes it worked I, I, I mean I even did that once in a Call of Cthulhu game I ran for you and uh, uh, an old friend of ours James and it was just I, I, I didn't have a solution and once the players had spent enough time investigating this was because I had to make the <laughs> session like within five minutes once they spent yeah. enough time investigating, they were sitting talking about theories as to what happened. I just, uh, uh, I just said, all right, roll, roll intelligence. And yeah, that seems like a logical... And it was just like, yeah. But, and you know, in adventure modules, you'll often see it written down like this, the entrance to the cave, and this is based on recent experience, obviously. Uh, the entrance to the Caves of Chaos is blocked by a giant stone. Characters making a DC-18 wisdom check can see um, that the stone is actually hollow or whatever, right? But the thing about it is, is that... Um, if you spend time writing all that shit into your fucking book, just put into your fucking book the entrance is is, uh, is blocked by a stone, right? And then the players can maybe make a pulley system or wedge it out with some yeah, bits of wood. Or, they can do whatever. It, they can explode it. They can fucking do whatever. Yes, exactly. Um, and that saves a lot of time. Anyway, sorry, Nick, I'm talking all over your tips here. 
No, not at all, mate. No, that's what it's all about. So yeah, so that's 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 that one then with the old, uh, you know, with a with a campaign backbone. So next tip is let the story evolve as your players interact with it. Remember characters' actions yes. as they may be useful in later episodes. So you know, this is the whole. This kind of for me, like you know, I, obviously I like all players, but when you have a player that just does exactly what they want to do, um, and they don't appreciate that there may be consequences for their actions, I definitely think that it's worth making little notes during a game for stuff like that. So, uh, it certainly, and I and and that that can be the basis for an adventure, and already you've got an idea. And you can just write something down, like so and so wants mm-hmm. to get revenge for what so and so did in this previous episode, and that saves you so much time because instead of thinking yes. up a big adventure, writing down ideas, you just go, you just use some of the players have done. And we've got we've got a player like that at our table. Let's be honest. And uh, I think I think Tough Guys is a good setting because you know he's he's gonna have to bloody well learn, but. Um, <laughs> I think we had it before as well with, an, uh, with, with a group when we were just so wretched to a shop owner once for no reason whatsoever. What is it, it, really with, what is it with players and shop owners? <laughs> they fucking hate them. I, saw a, guy, I, I saw a guy in a Call of Cthulhu campaign, of all things, trying to fight a shopkeeper for to the death for a discount on a staff. That was a back alley fight, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah they it, were it, like, it, went it, outside, he went to this weapons shop and it's just like, I just need a long stick because I'm going to probe into this cave and the guy was like yeah yeah i can sell you both staff that'll be uh you know two dollars or whatever and he's like how much give me <laughs> give it me one dollar <laughs> all right i'll fight you out the back and the guy's out the back you know just swapping his hunting knife from hand to hand <laughs> yeah um yeah, if just, i remember rightly the shop owner won he did he killed him <laughs> yeah killed there him immediately go. it was just well because it's called of cthulhu man a knife is deadly well of course yeah, you're right, absolutely right. But no, so yeah, let the, let the story evolve because it will change as the players interact with it and also remember what actions the players make in that world and note them down so they are, are positive and negative repercussions. They become them. adventure seeds. If, you, if you've if you got yes. a night where you actually don't have time to plan, just fucking do that, man. Just have a, a yeah. character come back for revenge or some yeah. elaborate fucking plot to have them killed. And, that's, and that all that needs to be as well is a quick footnote on your notes as a bit of role-playing playing out between the characters and whatever, you know, and they're chatting away and that, and if it's something that's noteworthy to remember later, just make a small note. And I find the, the, the best um, example of that, the one that I uh, probably brought up a few times before, but that I was really, really, really surprised to learn about it, is that when the, when we had the uh, Big Bad in the original um, Call of Cthulhu campaign that um, we played together, um, it was just he was just a, a librarian, just a bookkeeper, and then all we did is, as the player characters, we were just addicted to him for no reason because, well, we were skeptical of everyone. <laughs> Yeah, and then Harrison decided to use that and just be like, "All right, well, this person never existed in this light, but I'm just going to make they're now they're they're just the big bad. That's it." And then mm. they became this this massively oh my god multi campaign the most villain. evil character we've ever had. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. But that, but that saves time and it's also it provides a decent context for the players. It's definitely a character they've interacted with and bullied a lot. It's definitely going to be. More of a memorable villain than the the one that's been lurking in the shadows the whole time, um, and it's almost like a hidden in plain sight thing. Saved me a lot of fucking time because yeah. I was just no, like, absolutely. Well, now yeah. we've I don't have to build up a villain. We've got one right fucking there. Yeah, the players have gifted yeah, you one already. The most, 
Exactly, and that's yeah. the most ingenious it, thing that I heard at the time, and I was just like, oh my god, you're a fucking genius. But it just, uh, how can it, you... it just, yeah, swings the campaign in a way that feels natural, and uh, yeah, like like Nick said, you know, if you take little notes of all the all the things your players do that have consequences, I'm really terrible at it, and I remember once I re- wrote down that, that it was during the Lamentations campaign when you guys had gone to that swamp bog town that was what it was called oh, bog town yeah and then um, while you were there one of the players ryan licked a poisonous frog i, I can't even remember That's why right. he did it but i was just I'm, my handwriting is terrible i was trying to take a note down and all i wrote down in my book was ryan licked i didn't get the chance to write the frog <laughs> right and then I, I i looked at my notes like a couple of weeks later and i was like i remember he did what? something that fucking episode and i just looked at ryan licked and I'm like what did he lick what did he lick, right? <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Oh, mate. But yeah, so, you know, little notes. Um, so next one, this is a very crucial tip in my opinion. Have a huge list of names, just just random names, ready for any NPCs that pop up. Oh, I've got a good one for that. Fuck. Oh, sounds like he dropped stuff. Yo. Hey, What's I'm he back. doing? <laughs> okay. What, what did you do? I was reaching over to get my fucking notes and my phone fell on the floor and I nearly fell out my chair. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I agree with the names thing because it, it's it's a um, also a shorthand. If you are making an adventure, I don't know if you get this, Nick, but I spend an inordinate amount of time sitting there trying to think of a good name for a character or a pub. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And it, it saves so much time if you just have a pre-printed list. This is kind of on a completely unrelated note, and it's more about running the game. But fucking, um, I should probably stop going on about dungeon craft. This is like this whole podcast is me regurgitating stuff I've seen on his videos. But um, he has he had the idea of having a death narration chart. So you've got a verb, a location, and an effect, right? So I've got right. I've got in one side of my one cover of my notebook, I've got glued a list of names exactly. Uh, like you said for the tough guys campaign nice. on yeah. the other side I've got a death narration chart so you could pulverise someone's lung sending gouts of blood or you can Ooh. destroy the guy's face and see it crumpled on the floor or you splinter the guy's thigh sending uh, and it, you hear a sickening crunch Ugh. yeah so it's just crypto mate no, but it's worse. It's there, wicked. ready to go. It's like, do you know what? It's, it's another thing as well that, like, like uh, our last, uh, literally last session that we was playing, Harrison was like, "Well, I've got a hit location dice, so why don't I bloody use one?" And it just gives that extra bit of flavour because, you know, oh yeah, you hit him. Okay, it's interesting, but from a narration point of view, it's it gives you that little bit extra to work with when you've actually got a hit location. Totally. You can narrate it a bit more interestingly. Slightly um, off topic, yeah, no, big but list yeah, of I just it. wanted to mention it. Um, but yeah, no, li- it's cracking. List of names is good. I also think. Um, in terms of prep, like a lot of people will go to great lengths to design a new magic item when your players will probably just be happy with the ones in the back of the book. So yeah. um, Old School Essentials is great for that. And when we ran that uh, second arc of uh, the Fandolin campaign and indeed the third arc, whenever I rolled for treasure, um, I would just write in my notes to save myself some fucking time rather than going for all of them, picking one out, all of this. I would just say um, the players get D4 um gold pieces and d2 magic items and then yeah i'll just roll it at the table and just go right you give me a d100 they'd roll it and i go okay you've got a magic shield roll that you've got a cursed sword you know but that was really fun though yeah that was fun it adds a layer in predictability to your game as well yeah, it means it that you can base adventures on that if they get a cursed sword completely by accident and it's suddenly bound to their hand uh, yeah. well then again that saves on prep because it's like well next session seed there. you're yep. playing uh, yes yeah, a big seed big seed so big no seed. It's, it's 
Big Z boys. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, right, what we got next? So next one is uh, next tip is mixed. Uh, <clears throat> next tip is mix episode types to keep things fresh and exciting for players. So, you know, if you're if it's a longer campaign and you can get away with a full episode being a dungeon crawl, then next week if they've got out of that dungeon, then maybe think, right, do we want to do another dungeon crawl? Or shall I change it and mix it up a bit? I oh, know, let's do a courtroom drama instead. Yeah, because I think that it, it, when you're planning, I find often. If I'm doing dungeon crawl after one after another, um, I actually find it ends up taking me longer because I'm trying to find new ways to make that same concept yep. interesting. Yep. When if you just switch it up, it can make it a lot more fucking interesting. And um, you know, it could be like you said, a courtroom drama, an investigation episode, a one where you're mm-hmm. traveling to a place. You know, loads of different shit. Exactly, exactly, and that, and that, just that different type of episode, just mixing them up a little bit, or even if you mix, like, like Harrison's done it before, where we'll have, like, a, a role-play heavy session to start, but then all of a sudden, towards the end of it, it's a death race, you know? Mm, mm. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a death race, man, I'm, I, I can't count the amount of times I've done them in my fucking games. <laughs> no, it's true, actually. I love But they're race. so good. Oh, they're so good. So, yeah, so, so, so think of different concepts for episodes to keep things different. Uh, right, got a couple more if that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. So consider PC backgrounds when prepping uh, episodes. Not completely, um, you know. Don't don't let an ep- uh, a character's backstory kind of govern your entire episode. But just be aware of your character's background stories because there may be interesting little bits in there that you can use to make your story interesting. And also, a character will feel very uh, well if it's anything like me. If your backstory gets mentioned in a in a campaign by the DM, you feel quite good. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's a great way of coming up for, like, with ideas quickly. Um, a character, you know, people put a lot of effort into their backstories often. So, yeah, yeah. use it exactly. So use that. There's all there's a wealth of interesting stuff there. Right, a couple more. Um, so this one's for GMs. Don't get down if players didn't actually do much of what you had prepped. If they enjoyed the session regardless, you did a good job. And they never know. They will never know anyway. So yep. the main thing is, yeah, if all your char- if all your players are going crazy at the end of the episode, they've all got big smiles on their faces. They're talking about that episode for days after. Whether your prep got used or not, don't get down. You did a great job as a GM. And as we mentioned, save it for another episode. And save it for another episode. Yeah. Yep. Well, that that's precisely what happened and has continuously happened with <laughs> with the tough guys at the minute. That's but it. It's just yeah. It's just it's awesome. Just and, so and much fun. Thing is like. I suppose Harrison potentially, potentially your prep has changed. But if anything, I'm, I'm just sort of I don't know. It, maybe it's gotten lighter because you're just like well, yeah. Well, that's I've just it. With got... more freedom, the players tend to enjoy the game more, and you yeah. do less prep. And as well, a result, yeah. you can just. I mean, for this campaign, I could probably just write down. A, a, a lead or a rumour on a bit of paper and that could be enough do you know what I mean I, but that's, <laughs> yeah, it's true. that I think is quite no, specific true. to playing a game where you're criminals <laughs> yes that's true the that thing is, is, true. It, is really, it does really give the the, the uh, PCs carte blanche to do whatever the fuck they want <laughs> which yes. is like yes. even in episode one I said to them like Look, there, there, there's this one place in Brixton called the Old Warehouse, and it's neutral ground. You're not allowed to kill gangsters on that territory, and if you do, you're fair game to every criminal organisation in London. What did they do, episode one? Killed somebody on the Old Warehouse. <laughs> not our fault, though, yeah. I would like to add. Well, you set up Home Alone-style traps we didn't start, to kill... We didn't start it. <laughs> <laughs> that was, was pretty well... funny. James's character was on the ceiling. <laughs> Um, like in a ceiling beam and it set up like the oil cans like in Home Alone 
and the damage exploded over and over again like ace like five fucking times and then of course he just obliterated this guy's head by swinging a can at him from a rooftop God. stupid yeah. stupid yeah. it's pretty terrible brutal. Anyway, right, so last last two. Uh, this one's more of a kind of run in the game rather than prepping, but it kind of ties in with it, and it's acts like you know what you're talking about, even if you don't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fair. Like, it's what, like I've always said, you know, like, the, if you make a mistake, never, never tell your players you've made a mistake. Because no. No, um, no, no. otherwise, it, I think it ruins immersion, and also, you know, it stops you from feeling a little bit silly. But if they know yes. it's a plot hole then it's not a plot hole. You're just like, oh, yeah, that is weird. And then weird. you can just wrangle weird, it. it. But the thing is, <laughs> it, 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 that I think does tie into prep a little bit because yeah. you, you, people have this this idea that your adventures need to be completely watertight and that yeah. have all possibilities written down. When, in fact, if you have a, a vague guideline and you make a mistake, let's say, for example... Um, you bring back a PC that they've already killed, right? And you, I mean, in a modern game like we're playing now, um, and I do that by accident, I just say, you look out the window and uh, one of the NPCs is called Grim Slingshot, for example, and let's say you killed <laughs> yeah. him, and then you go, you look out the window and there he is, he's doing a drive-by. Hang on, didn't we kill him? And you as the GM will go, oh shit, they did as well. Don't go, oh, you did, uh, that doesn't happen. Just say, yeah, it's yeah. a bit fucking weird, isn't it? And it turns out he has a twin brother who's coming back to get revenge. <laughs> yeah. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> How many times can Absolutely. that happen? Though? And then everyone goes. How many times can that happen, James? I, I think after it. you forget the first time, it's unlikely to happen again. But imagine if you did keep forgetting. He's like, he was actually an octuplet, and uh, they each keep coming back to get revenge. Yeah, singularly. It's a clone factory. <laughs> it's a clone factory. <laughs> the, the, the biggest move the London gangs ever took was to start cloning each other to have more gang there you members. Go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And last but not least, I would say that um, it doesn't have, again, it doesn't have to be completely fleshed out, but for your prep for each episode, have some sort of beginning, middle, and end in your head. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that, that basically, that's all you need. Uh, people will think, think mm. otherwise, but that really is all you need. Bear in mind, the central mechanic of, say, a D20 game is rolling a D20, trying to beat a difficulty number. And most of that can be done in your head. Um, d yeah. damage can be made up on the fly if you can't even if you mm -hmm. think you're going to make a mistake just do d6 damage it doesn't really fucking matter um, no, but yeah that's right. I agree just just write down a beginning middle and end and that is the basic thing that all you need is that you know all your what? tips mm -hmm. then Nick? that's all my tips mate yep you know what nice I, tips. I kind of think Thank may you. be a really good idea for uh, as a prep tip is um, I don't know if you guys do this but obviously sometimes Harrison, you write summaries for people that aren't there. Mm. Um, but I think um, summaries in general. Say, for instance, I don't know, either, either the, the players are doing stuff going along with your notes or they've done something completely random and you haven't looked at your notes in three sessions because they're following their own leads. It might be mm. a good mm -hmm. idea to um, regurgitate that session as notes and then write down, right, what happened in this session so that you can, you know... You, like you remember more of what's going on and therefore that's not a terrible can, idea actually you know yeah, because it, then no, you can right. like be like oh yeah i remember this or here's a little detail they might have forgotten about you bring it back it keeps the continuity yeah doesn't it? it'll spark back a memory or you can use what's happened to then plan ahead so you'd be like all right so mm -hmm. i've written down the last three sessions because we haven't looked at my notes for the, all of those but now i've read through them i can clearly see the path that they're going down so here you go i'm just going to put something random here in the way 
um, which is which means that I can use this these notes that I haven't used in a while and looked at in a while or whatever. So that might be a good yeah mm-hmm. idea. Because I, yeah. I mean, what you could do for prepping for your next session is once you've finished one, sit down and just take a note of what the main things the players did, and instead of actually planning an adventure, the next session just look at those notes of what the players did and follow up on each one or or a couple, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the one final thing that I just wanted to mention before we go, because I forgot to mention it during my tips, is uh, get ICRPG and or any of the products associated with it, because um, the GM section in that has great ideas for encounters. If you are, if you're stuck for an interesting encounter, they have encounter archetypes like a, a funnel, uh, ambush, loads of things like this. But additionally, mm-hmm. he's got this. Um, why it's called index card RPG is because um, you can print these index cards that have pictures on them and that can inspire an adventure. There's this little mat you can print out. You put it on, so it's like it works like a flow chart. They go from this picture to this picture, and that will give you an idea ah. of a mission. It is also for sale as a deck of 52 actual playing cards as well, which is fucking great. Mm-hmm. But obviously, drive through RPG shipping cards to this country is a pain in the arse. 30 quid for a pack of cards. I'm all right. But yeah, that's a, oh. that's a great one for it. Um, but you can also use tarot cards, um, oracle cards, anything like that to inspire an adventure. Just lay three in a row, yeah. beginning, middle, end. So, you know, if the beginning is the hermit card, then he's the guy that gives you the mission. If the middle is the um i don't know nine of coins then it's about money um and he wants you to go and get this money and then if the last one is the ten of swords then maybe his old rival comes back just at the last minute when you're about to snatch the money or something like that do you see what i mean just an army of ten cell swords turn up yeah yeah there you go that works (laughs) Yeah. yeah Um, but yeah, we, we, we're sort of running long on this one, lads, so uh, shoot. Oh, God. that's our tips for prepping a single session of a game. I hope that you guys out there realise that uh, you don't need to do nearly as much as you think you do, and uh, in actual fact, there are some little cheat ways around it that you can uh, come up with an adventure quickly and um, or be inspired quickly. Um, I hope that helps, but we're actually going to go into Electro Letters, uh, where we're going to go through some of your tips for session prep and then answer some letters. In the future you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere on the planet. This, sir, is the Electro Letter. Yay. Ooh. So, yeah, we're talking about your tips for prepping a session quickly, and Tor A.B. Peterson comes in with a pretty good one. Um, he says, Sly for Flourish's Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, and, of course, the Lazy Dungeon Master... Um, has really helped me getting the prep done quickly. I start with a base premise slash plot for the campaign, then just plan session to session using the lazy GM method with a few tweaks to fit my style of game. This makes it easy to adjust to the PC's actions and you don't do a lot of prep that will never be used. Wow. So I saw this email earlier on in the week and I bought uh, the Lazy Dungeon Master and I've been reading it. Um, and it's a really cracking book. It is for anybody that finds prep overwhelming. It's fucking perfect. The, nice. the way he does it is that each campaign or each session of a campaign and even indeed the entire campaign should fit onto an index card and be three bullet points. And then when you make an interesting NPC for your game, uh, you should always just have three key interesting NPCs in a game. And they should fulfill different roles. And then three key enemies in any game. Um, And all of those should be summarised with three points. So it's sort of like a three-point method. Um, 
and yeah. the way he sort of gets you to prepare a game is all kind of done by um, key scenes that are interesting rather than planning out every encounter and it should all you know fit onto an index card and it is a cracking book for little like I say cheat ways around shit man I would highly recommend both of you give this a fucking read because it's so yeah just good. looking at it now actually on Amazon yeah it had, there's actually three books in the series you've got the Lazy DM's workbook you've got Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and the Lazy Dungeon Master you can pick all three up on Amazon for about 34 quid yeah and um, the they're on drive through RPG if you get the PDF that's what I did I've just been yeah. reading it on, uh, on iBooks on the iPad nice um, so yeah, I just uh, I've read like a couple of pages a night and stuff, and it's um, yeah, it's a corker man, and I got it. I think the Kindle version's like four pounds, so it's well yeah. fucking worth it if you Not just get it on on your. Oh no! Yeah, 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 great book. Um, there's another one called XDM as well, which is a book in a similar vein, Extreme Dungeon Mastery, and uh, it's written in this sort of like joke style. But I downloaded that as well because I wanted to just check it out. But a lot of it is like. Is 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 kind of similar tips like this, where it's kind of like um, I don't know, like for instead of having loads and loads of spells, just ask the player what they want to do, roll a d twenty, and then um, how well it goes depends on how well they fucking roll. And like it's loads of little tips like that, like yeah, and it's written in this comedy style with this like old school artwork that's just like take the oath now, I will kill a player character and let the dice to the talking and stuff like this, it's like, nice. it's pretty funny it's like, you, you want to be an extreme dungeon master or turn away, because you're not good enough all of this shit, like, <laughs> nice. fucking great there's nice. quite a few good guides actually I was just having a look, there's another one uh, there's one called The Monsters Know What They're Doing Combat Tactics for Dungeon Masters I bet that's, that's, a, a that's, a, that's a really really good one man, for just, because you can make a whole campaign based on the fact that the combat encounters are interesting like a skirmish yeah. game, you know exactly, that's cool, that's a good one, um, there's another one called Improv for Role Playing, which is a good one for uh, uh, players as well, which is uh, a, a fucking great book, but yeah, I would, I would check out La- well. Lazy Dungeon Master, it will change the way you think about prep, definitely awesome and Pete Jones is going to change the way we think about prep oh, as nice. well because he simply says make shit up as I go along <laughs> yeah fair play <laughs> I can't I argue what, with Pete there on some uh, some aspects uh, that is 90% of GM though isn't it I mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely fucking, um, I, I, like the old school essentials game that I played in uh, with Jeff Goad from the Spellburn podcast he he kind of does that where he just had this sort of vague setting and if we set off in a general direction he just pull I don't know how he fucking does it man he's a bit of a genius but he's got a mix of making it up as he goes along and also just pulling shit from his fucking hard drive when as and when it's necessary we could go off in a random direction and uh, be like you know what we're gonna go south in search of adventure and he'd be like okay you come to this mountain you see an entrance halfway up and then all of a sudden he's got the map then I'm like how the fuck did you have that ready like it's (laughs) insane but he he just wings the whole game and it is really fucking good so uh yeah i mean uh, that's uh that's madness i don't reckon i could do it to that level but making ship up as you go along just start with a simple premise and then just the whole thing like take no notes i want to do it but i'm scared to do it no but surely it's like it's case you just have random maps and then you just think yeah that fits you know if it if it fits i sits kind of thing you know it's i don't know like, how he locate. Uh, if you saw my hard drive though james i don't know how he would locate something quickly do you know what i mean <laughs> i mean when i'm looking for yeah. a dungeon to put into a game i spend fucking like an hour browsing through my books you know to find yeah. one that fits yeah. so i don't know how he fucking does it but it's clever yeah make sure up as you go along completely agree 
that's the essence yep. of some of the adventures we've written, Nick. You know, with um, yep, yep, whacked in the wicket and stuff. And it's like, oh man, yeah, it's true. A lot of that is about improvisation, then chucking in a twist when you fancy it. So if you want a fun yep. adventure, give the players a simple goal, write down five twists, and just chuck them in when you fancy. Um, yeah. For example, the adventure, forget about it. You know, that's mostly improv. The players have got to go and hide a dead body, and on the way, they, they might get a flat tire. A police, a police might turn up. You know. A police might turn up, yep. Um, exactly. We got one in from Terry Hansen as well. He says, listen to a lot of cool music, obsessively think over the story for the session, give the main NPC some personality quirks, look at art that coincides with the genre, read stories and books of the genre, then prepare to throw everything you have planned out the window and you let your players into the world. <laughs> yeah. That's my method. I mean, it's... That's the one. It's like... Because I, I fucking do that, man. In the, in the run-up to the Cyberpunk 2020 campaign, I, I read the book that inspired Cyberpunk. I watched Cyberpunk films, played the fucking video game all the way through, read the fucking RPG book twice through. Yep. And then when it comes down to it, it's going to be somebody screaming help, getting shot, going to the hospital, refusing to pick the players up in the car, all of this shit. And it's like... I, I think that stuff helps, but then the, the good thing about prepping for a campaign simply by doing research is that that's just something you do for fun anyway, watching cool movies, True. reading cool books. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't see that as prep, to be perfectly honest. No, no, it's just it's just a, it's a coincidence that watching something that you enjoy will also help feed into the game you're writing. So, totally. win-win, really. I mean, when I was running the GURP sci-fi campaign, I had... Uh, I watched fucking shitloads of Star Trek The Next Generation and discovered I really liked Ooh. it. So, yeah. Nice. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, it's good, man. It's really fucking good, actually. Um, I would, I would highly recommend it, and I also think it's quite accidentally funny a lot of the time. Yeah, it was. I used to watch it on Sky One back in the day. Yeah, that's it for the uh, for the listeners' tips. So yeah, I think definitely I'd agree with watching and reading stuff that coincides with the genre you're doing because, as a, as we say, you know, I don't really see it as prep, and it's fun, and it just it feeds into ideas because I I read a book every night when I go to bed anyway why not mm. do one that's relevant to my game exactly yeah um, alright but we've got a couple of general letters um, hello and first hello hello general <laughs> letters isn't a military man that's just <laughs> entered the room sir yes sir <laughs> <laughs> alright maggots micro malarkey he says no we're not doing characters anymore that, that ended a long time ago oh okay oh Hello. Who's this? It's the Patreon <laughs> Highwayman. <laughs> no, he's he is very, very much dead. It's the angry gnome. Um, oh, the homeless gnome. Yeah, that was. Do it. you remember when um, I did that? Uh, a cup of tea. I, did, I, I did a that fucking cup of tea. Good to give me ten b. Do you remember when I did that? Um, uh, what was it? A Q and A with the homeless gnome, and I played him for an hour, and listeners came in and talked to him. And we had that one obsessive listener that's listened to the same two episodes a thousand times come on, and she started talking to him. She was like, what is reality, man? Now tell me, what is um, D&D? Dungeons and Dragons. That's for the people that don't actually own a castle, gnome, so they pretend to storm castles and get them so rid the of... the yak uh, people, the fireballs, the killing of the children, none of it was real. Was it? Define reality. It's been redefined in my country. I'm thinking the whole world must be going through that. None of it was real! Fuck! 
Um, oh, it's so weird. It was so weird. And it, and it, she, it, I remember Eric Lamoureux, writer of Wise Guys, talking to the gnome and saying, D&D is for people that don't have castles like you, gnome. Oh, yeah. Very weird. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, Michael Markey. I nearly called him Michael Malarkey. That could be his nickname. <laughs> he comes in and says, you mentioned wanting an RPG made, made from ludicrous Sharkpocalypse movies. That was you, James. Yes. I've recommended Sharktoberfest. I have to recommend Sharktoberfest by Hex Games. It's written for the Quags system. I don't know what that is. No. But it's Quags. a great source. Quags. Quags. <laughs> but it's a great source book for generating your own Quags shark-centric <laughs> disaster. <laughs> Because everyone needs a shark-centric disaster. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to check it out, mate. You should, man. I'd love, I'd love to play in like a, well, at least like a mini campaign or a one-shot run by you about a shark-centric disaster. And maybe the Quags system is really good. <laughs> Do you know what? I'd like to play sharks in the sea. How about that? Yeah, where they belong. All right. Yeah. We've got a strong animal kindness ethic on this <laughs> Quags podcast. <laughs> Next episode's all about quacks. <laughs> Shut up, you God. quack. I'm finding this funny, but I'm sure the listeners are really yeah, upset true. with us. No. Sorry, Sorry about that. You bunch of quags. Uh, Sorry. Right, Sorry, yeah, anyway, thank you for the... Yeah, Sharktoberfest. James, check that out, all right? I'm going to fucking check it out. All right. What system is that for again? Quags! <laughs> all right, Stephen Keith. He comes in, he says, Howdy, twats. Although gaming at this point is essentially a dead hobby of mine, I did want to reach out regarding some interesting background music I'd used and thought you all may, may appreciate, particularly for any... I had such an urge to shout quags just then. Particularly <laughs> for anything grim and dark like Morksburgville. I heartily recommend Nine Inch Nails, Ghosts Volumes 5 and 6, particularly the track The Worryment Waltz. Ooh. I used that and a few other selections when running the awesome adventure module Sky of Crimson Flame. I'm not sure you could use it in APs with copyright, although I imagine Trent Reznor would be cool about it. I don't think oh. Trent, Trent Reznor would even know what an RPG is. <laughs> well, he's quite a cultured <laughs> fellow. Um, UMG or whoever, maybe another story. Still, sometimes just for a little mood music amongst friends in private works well. Even just for personal inspiration, really, I imagine decrepit castles jutting up from a murky forest. And he's putting them out over the R. Yay. Um, also wanted to suggest, suggest for any modern gritty city campaign, such as, for example, Wisdom Guys TMR, a really cool band from Italy called Calibro 35. They have a rich catalogue of especially film score S funk rock tunes Ooh. with a range of compositional moods that evoke the 70s cop show car chases, bank heists, hard-boiled detective action, and pensive murder mystery soundscapes. Check them out for some city noise where appropriate. That sounds Perfect. very good. So the band is Calibro 35. I'm going to remember that for our Tough Guys game and have yeah. that one in the background because that would be fucking great. Um, but yeah, we, we um, obviously in the actual play, a lot of the music that we use, we do actually pay for the license for, for the very reason of not being uh, copyright striked. Now, a lot, some of the music is from video games that are no, from companies that are no longer active, which is a clever way of getting around that. But don't tell anyone, all right, because we might get done. But shush. <laughs> but yeah, um, all of the um, royalty-free music we use, we pay for a license for, and it, it, it ranges from like a fiver to like 50 quid. But yeah. it's very rare that I'm going to spend that much on a song. But uh, at the moment, I've built up a really good fucking library, so I'm reusing yeah. a lot of songs, which I didn't really like to do in the beginning, but a lot of the Ravenloft music that we... Um, purchased was really fucking good for Morkborg as well so yeah. it's like well, and we got, got some, and, our, and our cyberpunky stuff that sci-fi stuff that we've got uh, pretty classic isn't it 
fucking great tunes in there, I man. Love that. Um, so I like the yeah, sign off. Times, I like the start, sign off from Steve. He says, "Still digging the show." Take care, guys. Stephen, the talking sword. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because yeah. he's a patron of ours, and uh, yeah, he's a talking sword in the Morkford campaign. Yes. So, um, yeah, with with regards to that that type of music, yeah, we pay for the license for it a lot, and uh, uh, in one case, the sort of. Um, you know the music that plays during the recap of Dirt Boy Blues. I just—it was a guy that just made a theme for uh, an imaginary sort of cyberpunk film, and I just messaged him on uh, on YouTube and just asked him if we could use it, and he was happy to. So good. The Mork Bog music is made by a band called Knoll as well, yeah, um, who yeah. really fucking good uh, dungeon synth group. That uh, yeah, I just asked them if I could use it, and they were cool to. And uh, in fact, a lot of dungeon synth artists that I know were when I was present on that scene allow us to use their music. But um, mm-hmm. during our games, we stick you know all sorts of shit on. I think it's really fucking important to have music in the background, oh, if 100%. only to drown out the little bit of silence that happens when a player's deciding what to do. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, and and sometimes like it just it, you know, when it just somehow naturally fits perfectly. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Like whenever we're out mining, we've got it's like, oh, James, put on epic battle music, and it's literally you know, <laughs> just an easy search term in YouTube. Chuck whatever goes on, and it always fits. But sometimes it just hits at the right time. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, like, like I bash him in the face with my sword, and then the song goes. Yes, and it's like amazing. The best is when a character dies and a sort of sad song suddenly oh, comes on and everyone's like, fucking like, Everyone knew. Fucking love it. I mean, uh, yeah, to, at the moment, because uh, we're all playing at home, we all stuck on music in our respective homes. What's kind of annoying is because I'm GMing on Discord and my internet is terrible. I usually just put, you know, YouTube playlist on, but I can't really do that because it will just choke my internet to, oh, to buggery. So That's annoying. Virgin Media t- top of the line fucking business internet for you. Terrible. Tell me about fucking it. Bollocks. So um, yeah, I've currently still using the same fantasy music I have on my phone. Um, <laughs> for this tough guys campaign in the background so I'm listening to like the Skyrim soundtrack we're knocking about EastEnders Wolford and then he got Skyrim playing in the background lovely um, nah. yeah but, um, thank you for the uh, thank you for the suggestions we'll check out uh, Calibro 35 in our current campaign and uh, Absolutely. I've never really listened to much Nine Inch Nails but I'll, get, I'll give it a give it a go man I like I like Very that good. type of stuff mm-hmm. actually um before we sign off can I tell you a story about Nine Inch Nails because this is probably the only time I'm ever going to get to do that <laughs> please don't go on so this is something I heard I don't know if it's true but Trent Reznor right he's uh, had a very dark and disturbing past and apparently he was once doing a poetry night where he, invi- he invited a bunch of celebrities industry people along like this and things like this and on each table was a uh, little screen with a camera in it that was f- just filming people throughout the whole thing and they sit down and they t- have a shot of tequila each and they take it and he does this whole night where he's reading out poetry and other guest poetry readers come on and things like this and then right at the end, the people see that the footage on the um, table cameras winds all the way back to when they first sat down. And they can see footage of him pissing into a bottle, filling the tequila shots half up with his own piss, <laughs> and then them drinking it. <laughs> what? I mean, that is it, it's quite the artistic statement, but fuck me, is that out of order? Yeah, that is well out of order. Oh, my God. That is well out of order. Well out, so if you're ever thinking of, of doing that, listeners... Don't, all right? Because we will quangs you right up the chops. <laughs> should we do? Should we do the outro, motherfuckers? I think we yeah, quangs. I did become a little bit of a slag. 
I became a total slag. Alright, quags for listening, everybody. Um, I just want to... S- what? Sorry. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, quags yeah, for yeah. listening. Quaggy very much uh, for listening. Uh, I've just... I've lost... I can't remember what I'm supposed to say. What's wrong with me? <laughs> it's just a, a, a mildly amusing word. Uh, it is. Yeah, if you want to email us, go to... to go, <laughs> don't <laughs> go, go to quags. The, go, don't go. Just shout quags into the ether and somehow the message will get to us. Will get to us. <laughs> or you can uh, send an email to 3drpgpod at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, so just search us up there. And of course, you know, we really need a bit of money, mate. So buy one of our adventures, search up 3T RPG Publishing on uh, on Drive Through RPG, and uh, also donate on Patreon if you fancy it. And just remember, right, that uh, Jesus loves you. I've been Harrison Hunt. <laughs> I've been Nick Lamley. I've been James Quags. And remember that D20s are cool, but Quags, now that's a good time. Yeah.